Throughout uh, literature, uh, from almost the earliest of times of the written word, we've seen that there are uh, antagonists in literature uh, that are deceptive sneaks uh, that seek to destroy and thwart uh, the purpose or the plan or the uh, benefit, the good of the protagonist. Uh, we see these antagonists, these sneaks uh, in uh, literature going back to Iago uh, in Othello by Shakespeare. He was a sneak. Uh, you can look and see uh, classic uh, uh, tales from Dante in his Inferno, painting the picture of the greatest of all sneaks, the devil himself. You see in other pieces of literature, uh, sneaks like uh, in Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, there is an antagonist named Mr. Dark who leads people astray and literally takes them to their devastation. Or in uh, Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus, uh, there is a character named Mephistopheles, who leads people to a carnival-like experience, but really it is their own undoing. In classic literature like C.S. Lewis, uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there is the White Witch uh, who deceives uh, a young boy named Edmund, one of the four main characters in that novel. In the land of Narnia, she takes uh, Edmund and gives him uh, sweet treats called Russian delight and then closes her trap on him that eventually leads to devastation toward the end of the book. We see these sneaks, these um, deceivers throughout the history of literature, um, Today, I want us to go really classic by looking at the tale of Pinocchio. Pinocchio is a movie made popular by Disney in the 1940s that was built upon a book uh, by an Italian author. And Pinocchio is the tale, the story of uh, Geppetto creating uh, a, uh, a puppet whom he named Pinocchio, uh, this puppet had qualities like a real-life boy. He could uh, talk, and he could walk, and he could dance, but he was still just made of wood. And Pinocchio's longing in life, and Geppetto's as well, would, was for Pinocchio to become a real-life boy. And so the tale unveils uh, and the, pro, uh, the, uh, the plot thickens as Pinocchio begins to make his way to school uh, like a real live boy uh, in the movie. And I'm going to be talking about the movie because few of us have read the Italian version. Uh, but uh, in the movie, you see uh, Honest John come along. Honest John portrayed... Uh, as a sly-looking fox, I think, in the, in the uh, uh, 
in in the book. He's a cat. But uh, Honest John comes along, and Honest John is a con man. Uh, He uh, is just the opposite of his name, and he sees Pinocchio wandering down the street, and he begins to think, how can I take this puppet that's walking and talking without strings, how can I profit off of him? And so, uh, Honest John fools Pinocchio uh, into skipping school and going uh, to uh, 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 become an actor. In fact, in the movie, it's an actor's life for me, Pinocchio begins to sing. And they make their way, and Honest John sells Pinocchio uh, to, the, uh, to the puppet master named Stromboli. Uh, so Honest John is a sneak, and Stromboli is a sneak. Stromboli promises Pinocchio fame and even fortune. And certainly, after the first time that Pinocchio played without strings and danced without strings, and even though he fell on his face, Uh, like a clumsy little uh, puppet. Uh, Everybody in the crowd laughed, and Stromboli made a bunch of money that night. Uh, He, in return, gave uh, Pinocchio a worthless metal washer for Pinocchio's trouble. Pinocchio then wanted to go back home uh, to his father, Geppetto. Uh, But Stromboli Instead of offering fame and fortune, offered him a birdcage, kept him captive in a birdcage because he didn't want to lose his profit. He promised something great and delivered only captivity. Eventually, Pinocchio escapes from his captivity, and he then is uh, on his way to Geppetto, and and he counters again Honest John. Honest John sees him and again fools him uh, into thinking that there is a better way than going home. Uh, He sells Pinocchio to the coachman. The coachman is a character uh, who is built after, some would say, Mephistopheles and Dr. Faustus uh, by Christopher Marlowe. Uh, This is a a guy, a a round-looking kind of guy that Uh, takes all wayward, truant children and leads them to Pleasure Island. And he takes Pinocchio, giving Honest John some more profit. He takes Pinocchio along with other truant kids, and he takes them to Pleasure Island, and he promises them fun and games to their fill. But really, uh, there is great tragedy that's waiting for all the boys and girls at Pleasure Island. Uh, They have fun for a season, but the magic of Pleasure Island is that it turns truant children into donkeys. And those donkeys then are sold by uh, the coachman to the mines, and uh, there they spend the rest of their days. So here's the plot line. Pinocchio wants to be a real live boy, and he ends up on an island where he's going to become a donkey. Um, That's the way deception works. Pinocchio escapes again from Pleasure Island, uh, and he looks for his father Geppetto, and having followed the trail of all these deceivers, he ends up in the belly of Monstro. It is a difficult, difficult day when we follow deception. 
It is a day that could end in our tragedy. We live in the real world, not in the make-believe world of, of Mephistopheles or Mr. Dark or Honest John. We live in the real world, but deceivers live here too. And these deceivers seek to lead us off the cliff to our own devastation. How can we have confidence as followers of Jesus Christ in a day that is so filled with deception? And you can find deception anywhere you look. You'll find deception sometimes in the church. Now, that's uh, the context in which John is writing in 1 John chapter 2. He's writing uh, to uh, his beloved church there in Ephesus, and there were deceivers in the church that were leading people astray. You can find deceivers in the church. You can find deceivers in your neighborhood, deceivers on your timeline of Twitter or your page of Facebook. You can see deceivers speaking uh, on news channels or uh, uh, talk shows. You can find deceivers anywhere. And John gives us insight today and in how to deal with the deceivers, and he even gives them a name. In 1 John chapter 2, look at verses 18 and 19. He says, little children. Remember last week, he wrote to my little children uh, earlier in this chapter, and we talked about how little children is a diminutive term that he uses, a term of endearment for um, uh, the church at large. And so he is talking to the church. He says, little children, it is the last hour. Now, what does he mean by the last hour? In John's timeline, the last hour began when Jesus was resurrected. And the last hour doesn't end until Jesus returns. We're here today and we celebrate that we get to live in the last hour. We don't know the time or the season of Christ's coming, but when he comes, the day will be done, and the, uh, the night will be done, and the day will uh, dawn, and we will enter into a new phase of history uh, in the presence of God. But until that day, until Christ comes in the clouds in his glory, we are living in the last hour. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. He uses Antichrist there, and, and it's a capital A in my translation. I hope it is in yours as well. The Antichrist is this one person of perfidy. This is the one, and that sound really nice, one person of perfidy. Uh, this is uh, the bad character of all time. This is the servant of Satan. Satan, like Mephistopheles or Mr. Dark. Uh, this is the one who leads the world astray. Uh, some, in some uh, uh, ideas, the Antichrist is a political figure that, uh, that was made popular, not in the book of Revelation where he gains great prominence, but rather in the watching of the movie and the reading of the book, The Late Great planet earth. This is the Antichrist. This is the guy who sends chills up the back of our spine. If you've read, read any Stephen King novels, this is Randall Flagg uh, in The Stand. This is the guy that is 
evil incarnate in human flesh, the very opposite of Jesus Christ. But he hasn't come yet. Uh, he's not saying that he has come yet. He's, he's saying he hasn't come yet. But he goes on and he says, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, so now he's back in the present. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, this is the little A, not the capital A. Who are these little A Antichrists? These are the people that oppose Jesus. These are the people that teach opposite what Jesus taught. These are the deceivers. We'll get more definition in a moment. Uh, these are the Antichrists have come, by which we know that we are now in the last hour. They went out from us. That means that they were part of the church, but they were not of us. They weren't really part of the church. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have remained true to Jesus. But they went out that they might become made manifest or be revealed that none of them were of us. So, uh, in this passage, John gives the deceivers a name. He calls them the Antichrist. Uh, at its very base, Antichrist means the opposite of Jesus. It means the one that's contrary to Jesus, the one who opposes Jesus. And these little Antichrists, these deceivers, are workers of evil because they teach and they live contrary to what Jesus has taught us and how Jesus has lived. And we face these deceivers. Now, these deceivers don't come uh, with chains on their wrists. They don't come smelling like hell, uh, but rather they have uh, uh, the smell of, uh, 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 of something sweet and something beneficial. I was going to say essential oils, but I don't want to get in trouble. They, they have sweet aroma, not stench aroma. They come saying smooth words and, and having nice phrases, but they're deceivers. They're like honest John leading us astray, uh, promising something great but leading to tragedy. And you and I face these deceivers. We face them at every turn in our world today. But we can still be confident. Even in the face of deceivers, if you're a Transformer fan, the Decepticons, even in the face of deceivers, as followers of Jesus in real time and in real life, even as their deception drips off their tongue and they threaten to lead us to devastation, we can have confidence because God gives us the resources we need to overcome the deception. Now, that's John's message today, that, that God gives us the resources that we need to overcome deception. He gives it to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been rescued by God's grace, if you have brought it, been brought into God's family through faith in Him, then you have resources, all the resources that you need to overcome deception. You don't need a PhD in theology. You don't need a, 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 a decade long of, 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 of uh, uh, ministry experience. You, you don't need to have some special insight. You've got everything you need if indeed you're a follower of Jesus. And that's the point that John makes. It's the point that God wants us to hear. He gives us all the resources that we need to overcome deception. 
He gives us all the resources we need because He gives us His Holy Spirit. He gives us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide every single day. Now, Pinocchio had Jiminy Cricket. Y'all remember Jiminy Cricket? Always singing a song, always trying to get Pinocchio to turn from the bad and toward the good. But Jiminy Cricket had his limitations. After all, he was just a cricket. But in real life, in real time, we don't need Jiminy Cricket. We've got the Holy Spirit of God residing within us. I want you to hear what John writes in verses 20 and 21. John writes, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written you written to you because you don't know the truth. I've written to you because you know the truth and, it, and that no lie is from the truth. So what's he saying? All right, if I could take you back to the time, that moment when you moved from darkness into light, that moment in time where you saw that your sinfulness kept you from God's family, And under conviction by the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God drew you to believe that Jesus is your only hope. The Spirit of God drew you to that place where you saw Jesus, who is fully God, who became fully man, who died on a cross for your sin in your place. Where Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb and he was raised from the dead to give you new life. When you by God's grace, saw Jesus in all of His glory and all of His sacrifice and all of His love. And the Spirit of God drew you to believe on Jesus, to put your faith in Him as your only hope, to to surrender your life to Him as King and Savior and Lord. In that moment where you moved from darkness to life, from death into life, In that moment, God brought you into his family, and he poured into you the third person of the Trinity, his Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 tells us that if we are sons and daughters of God, then we have the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us so that we now live in immediate intimacy with God. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus, the moment you entered into God's family by God's grace through faith in Him, in that moment, the very person of God in the Holy Spirit indwelt you. You are now temples of the Holy Spirit. Each one of you, individually as followers of Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. As temple of the Holy Spirit of God, you now hear God's voice speaking to you through His Word. And sometimes even in the still small whisper of prayer, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you here and now so that you live 
hand in hand with the living God. You have an anointing, he says. That anointing is the very Holy Spirit who indwells you. And today my prayer is that we would hear from the Holy Spirit, that we would surrender to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit is our guide. So that the Holy Spirit guides us in how we live and how we think and to whom we listen. You see, it's not for nothing that we have this Bible, this Genesis to Revelation word from God. It is breathed out by the very Spirit of God. Not only does the Holy Spirit indwell you, but the Holy Spirit has penned this wondrous book that gives us the very heart of God, the very mind of God, the very words of God. If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, open God's Word and read. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul writes that even as we read the, Holy, uh, read the Holy Scripture, that the Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes to see it, opens our minds to understand it, opens our ears to hear it, opens our hands to do it. The Holy Spirit of God empowers us to walk according to the will of God, found in the Word of God, so that we might be the people of God, shining His light of glory in a dark world. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you, but you must let Him be your guide. That's why Paul tells us we must walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit means that we let go the way we want to go, and we take hold the way the Spirit of God directs us. We must walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lusts of flesh, so that we no longer are susceptible to the Decepticons that come our way, the honest Johns that, that, that promise great things but deliver only carnage, Mephistopheles who promises a carnival that leads to our death. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit of God, not the deceivers. We walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He goes on in Galatians 5, and he says that we must have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that display you and me walking in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is our guide, we will walk in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Are you walking in the Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit your God? You have this anointing. You have it now. And because you have this anointing, you understand all things. You know all things. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can detect and determine, based upon God's Word and the Spirit of God speaking through it, what is truth and what is lie. The beauty The beauty that God has enabled you and me to be indwelled by His Holy Spirit here and now means that the truth of God will unmask the lie when we yield to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, is the Holy Spirit your guide? Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit is not your guide if you determine to live or to behave, or to speak, or to act, or to believe in a way that's contrary to the Word of God. I I need for you to hear this. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak contrary to that which He has written. And Genesis to Revelation is what He has written. If the Scripture says it, that's God's will. That's the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
we know that we're not um, walking in submission to the Holy Spirit of God if we're not living in obedience to the will of God revealed in the Word of God. Is the Holy Spirit your guide? The Holy Spirit is our guide, not our emotions, not how we feel, but what God's Word says. The Holy Spirit is our guide, not uh, what popular uh, gurus out there have to say, but what God's Word says. The Holy Spirit is our guide when we follow not our own pursuits toward personal comfort, but rather we pursue the holiness of God's Word. With moral clarity, we know how to live because God's Word tells us how to live. Is the Holy Spirit your guide? Uh, Can I tell you in my own experience, whenever I walk contrary to the direction, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets pretty loud in me. And Jiminy Cricket was trying to rescue Pinocchio from Honest John, and he perches himself on Honest John's top hat, uh, whistling and trying to get Pinocchio's attention. But Honest John's song drowned out the whistling of Jiminy Cricket. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit works in such a way that from the inside out, He turns us again toward what God is calling us to be and to do. But He must be our guide. Not our emotions, not not the cultural appetites of the world around us. And I'm talking about the stuff that we call good. Even conservative things can become uh, the deception that leads us to chaos and devastation. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit of God? Can I tell you we're not listening to the Holy Spirit and He's not our guide if we behave in a way that's contrary to God's Word, even with our words? If we say things that are demeaning and dismissive and and lack love toward others, the Holy Spirit is not your guide. Something else is. You're listening to deception. The Holy Spirit is our guide, and because the Holy Spirit is our guide, and even now desires and, and, and begins to unmask the lie, we must identify the deceit that we're listening to or that's yelling around us. We can identify the deceit. Because the Holy Spirit of God unmasked the lie, we can identify the deceit. John uh, spells it out here for us in verses 22 and 23. He says, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. When we hear and follow the Holy Spirit of God, we understand all the things that lead us to life that Jesus has already given us. And we hear as well the lie that others are telling us. In this context, the liars, the antichrists, are those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what that looks like or what that means. Uh, Essentially, uh, and in our context as well, anytime 
a teaching diminishes the person and work of Jesus Christ, it is a lie. Now, listen to that language because it's very important. Anytime we hear any teaching that diminishes the person and work of Jesus Christ as insufficient for us to be fully alive, it is a lie. We're listening to a deceiver. I will not feel whole unless dot, dot, dot. I will not be satisfied until dot, dot, dot. The only way the church can survive in this world is dot, dot, dot. If the fill in the blank is not Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, then we're buying into a deceit. You see, only Jesus is sufficient to give us life. And Jesus alone is sufficient to give us life. All the protection we need, all the nourishment of our soul that we need, all the satisfaction in this life that we need, all the salvation in this life that we need comes from Jesus Christ alone. It's not some add-on that we need. We don't need Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. But friends, how often are we adding things? We hear it in the gurus that we listen to on television or podcasts. We hear them say, well, Jesus is enough to get you to heaven, but here's what you really need to be satisfied in this life. Jesus is enough to guard his church, but here's what you really need for the church to be safe. Jesus is enough for you to uh, be happy, but, but really what you need is something on top of Jesus. Now, they don't come out with the chains uh, uh, clanging in the, uh, the, the, the scent of hell uh, floating. They, they come out with nice words, with nice phrases, but the reality is they're saying Jesus is insufficient. And the minute we start buying into that lie is the minute we start going toward Pleasure Island or a birdcage. And Jesus is sufficient. Jesus alone is sufficient. And Jesus is sufficient to make us fully alive. Please understand, Pinocchio's deep desire was to be a real live boy, but he was missing it because he was pursuing deceptions from Honest John or Stromboli or, or from the coachman. In the same way, as followers of Jesus, we desire to live our lives fully alive the way God intended And he's already paved the way. He's forgiven our sin through the sacrifice of Christ. He's given us a new heart, a new mind, a new way of life through Christ. He's already made us new creatures in Christ so that we are fully alive. Jesus plus nothing is everything. The deceit is when we start adding on to Jesus. I think about um, my teenage years or my daughter's teenage years. Um, if I only had that boyfriend, not me, I needed a girlfriend. If I only had that special someone in my life, then my life would be made whole. Oh no, 
I, I understand the sentiment, and I, and I can sympathize with the sentiment, but friends, please know, Jesus plus nothing makes us fully alive. To believe anything else is to fall prey to a deception. The Holy Spirit is our guide, and He leads us into all truth so that we know and understand all things about our life and our circumstance, that Jesus alone is sufficient to give us the fullness of life so that we can identify deceit, so that we can unmask the lie. So live today, each moment, under the influence of this good news, this gospel. Live each moment of every day reminding yourself of this gospel that has rescued you and brought you into God's family. Live each moment under the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what John's getting at in verse 24 through 27. He said, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What is it that they heard from the beginning? how that they could have their sins forgiven and find new life in Jesus Christ. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. Eternal life is quality of life as well as quantity of life. Eternal life is living fully alive the way God intended before sin entered the scene of human history. It is the life we long for. It is the life that we crave. It is the life that we yearn to know and to have and experience. And all these deceivers are out there trying to lead us off of, uh, down a primrose path that leads nowhere but our own chaotic carnage and destruction. So today, dwell, abide to this good news that gives us life. Verse 26, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. The anointing, the Holy Spirit, which you have received from Him abides in you, and you don't need that anyone teach you. But as the, as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. Abide is a word that means we must be tightly connected to Jesus, to the good news of his rescuing love. We must be tightly connected so that the gospel influences the way we think, the way we believe, the way we talk, the way we feel. So it, so it influences every aspect of our life, our relationships with one another, our relationships in the church, our relationship with people who are far from God. The gospel shapes every aspect of our relationships. The gospel shapes the way I see myself. I am a sinner. Oh, the grief I bear because of my sin. But I am forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's grace 
has taken me a dead man and given me new life. The gospel shapes how I see myself. The gospel shapes how I see you. Together, walking together, living together, doing family together, doing life together, encouraging one another, loving one another, so that together we might be that army that God has raised up in a dark world and shine the light of his good news to people who are desperate for it. It shapes how I see people who are far from God, people who don't know him, People who are still living under the weight and the condemnation and the shame and the pain of their sin. It fills me with compassion and sympathy for them. Not so that I sit in silent indifference, but rather so that I move toward them. With the good news that can change their life. That can turn them into people barely alive to people who are fully alive. When we live under the influence of the gospel, our whole life is shaped by the good news. Yes, I've sinned. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So I can be who he's remade me to be and live in fellowship with him and with you moving forward together on the mission that he's given us. I'm going to live each moment under the influence of the gospel. Teaches us how that we can live, not under shame, but under the victory that God has given. When we abide in the gospel, we abide in Christ. And John chapter 15 tells us about abiding in Christ. In fact, abiding uh, there is painting an even more powerful picture where Jesus is the tree trunk and we are the branch tied into him. And if we remain tied into Jesus, we will have nourishment for our soul. We'll have satisfaction in daily life. We will have protection from deceit. We will have joy in everyday living. We will know what love really is. This happens because we are tied to Jesus We are living under the influence of the gospel and under the influence of Jesus Christ so that our souls are nourished and we are fully satisfied so that we live in the promise here and now of an eternal life, life fully lived, eternal life, not just getting to heaven when we die, but but living in the promise of a life here and now that he has provided for us, a life in the grip of Jesus Christ and his grace. There are deceivers that we encounter, and they try to lead us away, and they're going to be subtle. They're going to speak to our fears or they're going to speak to our ambitions. They're going to tell you what you've got in Jesus is not nearly enough. You need something else. But let the Holy Spirit be your your guide. Hide 
God's Word in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. Let His Word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Submit to Him. Identify the deceit that is right in front of your nose and live under the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father in heaven, as we have gathered here in your name and as we've heard your word proclaimed, I pray that you would make this word come alive in the hearts of your hearers here and now. That by your Holy Spirit speaking to each of us, you would apply specifically what we need to know what we need to understand about ourselves, about the deceits that we're embracing or uh, the lies that we've been believing and lead us to repentance, lead us away from the deceit, help for us come to ourselves like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and return into your embrace. Now I pray as we continue to worship you and as we look to you, O Jesus, as our supreme and sole confidence in this life. May we live each moment under your influence, and our souls will be nourished, and we will be protected from deceit, and we will live fully satisfied. We will find ourselves singing and dancing in the fullness of joy. And now if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who is yet to embrace you, Lord Jesus, as Savior and as King, I pray by your Spirit you would do that work and be their guide and draw them to yourself that they would repent their sin and they would put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, and the death on the cross as payment for their sin and your resurrection as a new life. That they would cry out to you, O Father, and Find forgiveness in your embrace. Now, God, be glorified as we worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.